morning, everyone. I know you're sitting there, so I, I'm assuming you're breathing. They didn't like prop a bunch of corpses up this morning. In the, so you, come on, let's do it. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. I will wake you up this morning. Come on, let's stand and sing this together. With all of my heart, and I will praise you with all of my strength, and I will you all of my days, and I will follow, I'll follow all of your monitor for me. Thank you. All right, I will bow down.
is today. We probably have like a video or something. I just don't know. Where is he? Oh man, we are going to stack it on him. Where is Boomer? Seriously? Okay. Well, what are the announcements? You know? Okay. Uh, sure. man when he walks in okay here's the deal when he walks in i'm gonna say hey everybody look who's here and then we just all explode right okay sing that i believe in god our father comes believe in Christ. hey everybody look who's here there's an opening for children's pastor so if you <laughs> know of anyone the families that are participating in uh, promotion Sunday this morning would you come on up and while they're coming up just come right up on the stage anywhere across here is fine <sighs> just a second okay <clears throat> I identify with the COPD commercials now right <laughs> the elephant on the chest thing uh, while they're coming up, if we have any uh, high school or college or other kinds of graduates, would you stand up and allow us to clap for you and uh, your hard work and achievement to get done? Thank you. Very good. Well, this is uh, a Sunday morning that we, uh, we're excited to just... Um, to be able to celebrate a milestone. Um, and so the families that are on stage have kids that are finishing kindergarten and going into first grade. 
which is exciting for me because I don't get to know kids really well until they get into first grade. That's uh, elementary is kind of where I live uh, downstairs. And so I'm excited about getting to meet these families or know them better and certainly get to know their kids better. Um, but one of the transitions in this milestone is kids moving from a picture Bible to a chapter Bible, a Bible that's got the chapter and verse um, uh, divisions in it. And so um, these kids kind of are moving into um, learning new skills. How do, we, how do we navigate God's word in a different way and how do we learn it in a different kind of way? And so um, this morning, these moms and dads will be presenting uh, Bibles to their uh, kindergartners, soon to be first graders. And uh, so we just love to have this time together. So parents, if you've got a Bible, um, you've got it. If you need a Bible, there are some right here. Some of, um, I found out about this morning, which is awesome. Uh, so grab a Bible and then you're ready. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm just going to give moms and dads an opportunity um, just to present and to pray for their kids, present the Bible to their kids and to pray for them. We're going to give them just a minute to kind of do that here on stage, but privately. And um, so moms and dads, go ahead and do that. If you want to uh, just turn to your kids, say what uh, you're ready to say to them, and then we'll pray for these families uh, all together. you all join me in praying for these families. God, we love you, and we thank you for the privilege that you give us to be parents. Thank you for entrusting to us um, children, and in that moment, God, you give us a commission to pass our faith to our kids, to plant the seeds of our faith into our children. Father, I pray for every one of these moms and dads. I pray for um, the parents who aren't here this morning. I pray for extended family, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles. Father, that will have a voice in these kids' lives that, that will model faith lived out every day. Father, I pray in for these families today, Father, that you would fill them with uh, your, your strength, that you would give them patience, that you would give them wisdom as they speak and as they show what it is to pursue you. Father, would you help us as a ministry and as a church to come alongside, to love these parents well, to support them and encourage them and equip them and to cheer for them in the commission that you've given them. Father, we thank you for these kids. Thank you for the part that they have in our church family and in your kingdom. 
and the circles of influence that they have in their neighborhoods and in their schools. And Father, I pray that you would use them in really um, awesome and powerful ways to share the gospel with the kids that they run with. Father, let's not overlook, help us to not overlook how you want to use them to build your kingdom now and in the years to come. We love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. And then just a quick welcome to uh, anybody who's here for the very first time. We'd love for you to take that uh, guest card that you find in the seat back in front of you and uh, share it uh, out after church in the welcome area. Let's continue to worship. I didn't have to say anything, did I, Boomer? I just looked at you. <laughs> Thanks, Boom. That was awesome. That made me cry. So every week as I talk to the uh, pastors who are speaking, I pray about songs. And this old hymn came to me, but it was kind of, it was written long dorky, and so I, I changed it. wondrous grace to me he has made known nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own but I know whom I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep me. I have committed all to him until that day. And I know not how his saving peace within my heart but I know who I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep me I have committed all to him until that day I know not how the Spirit moves convincing me of sin revealing Jesus through His Word creating 
But I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep me. I have committed all to him until that day. Not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk through death with him or meet him in the air. But I know I have believed. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep me. I have committed all to him until that day. Amen. Sing it again. Yeah, I know I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep me I have committed all to him until that day hey would you guys look around say hello to someone this morning real quick song. And I love the words to this song too. You need something? To, oh no. Next. Here we go. Ready? Behold he comes riding on the clouds shining like the sun at the trumpet's call. Lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee. For out of Zion to salvation come. All right, come on, here we go. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trial, 
of famine and darkness and sword. Still we are the voice in the desert crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Come on! Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, for out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. are the days of Ezekiel, their dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David rebuilding that temple. And these are the days of the harvest, yeah, the fields are as wide in your world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Come on! Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like a sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, for out of Zion's will salvation comes. Uh, let's sing this. Come on. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 There's no God like Come on. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 Behold, He comes riding on a cloud, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee for out of Zion's hill. Just with our voices lifted up. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, for out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Amen. Jesus, we cannot wait to see you riding on your white horse, coming in the clouds as you said you would, God, and all the world will see you as you come. Father, as we meet this morning, we just rejoice in that coming reality. Lord, we pray over our brother Nick, who you've been talking to for a couple weeks now about what you want to talk to us about today. And so we need you to open the eyes of our hearts and, and just tear away the confusion and just focus in on what you have to say to us, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So all the kids who got uh, graduated to a different Bible, uh, the cool part, once you grow up, you can use both Bibles. So the way I prepared my heart and my mind this morning to preach was I busted out my children's story Bible and read a chapter of that. 
So thank you so much for allowing us to watch that, and you can hold on to those things, and you can use whatever kind of Bible you want. Okay, so we're going to continue through our series of Romans. Uh, the preaching team has been walking through the book of Romans, and so far as we've um, looked through the first three chapters, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, so turn on your devices or open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4 uh, so you can follow along. Uh, today we're going to read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little, so you might want to keep that thing propped open. Uh, but so far as Paul uh, has written this letter to the Romans, um, in chapter 3 we saw that he continued this theme um, and introduced a theme basically of justification that comes by faith. So if you remember in chapters 1 and 2, um, he gave little inklings of that, but one of the things he was doing was he was declaring and showing all of our need for a Savior, that none are righteous before God, uh, therefore we need uh, a rescuer. We need a solution. And Jesus brought that solution. And so he's also made um, kind of a universal claims that there's no distinction, Jew nor Greek, uh, by way of guilt. So there's this kind of unifying process in our need, but he's also introduced this unifying process in the offer of salvation to all people. And so in chapter 4, he continues that theme of saving faith, by grace in the person of Jesus, uh, but he, he gives us some evidences or maybe builds a defense uh, using Abraham, an Old Testament example. And so we're going to unpack a little bit of uh, how, my understanding of how Abraham has deepened my understanding of what justification means, uh, what righteousness means, and really of, of what faith means. And so as a preaching team, we've sought to uh, define some of these words, and it's been very helpful for me to kind of get uh, the other team members' uh, definitions of it. And so to, to kick off, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to try to define this before we get into the text. So if you would, please pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We love you, and we praise you for keeping us and for loving us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that allows us to understand your heart and your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that uh, allows us to communicate to each other in a loving way, God. And God, I desire to bring, uh, bring your word and your truth with power and conviction, um, but I realize that uh, I, I can't without you, that it would be so easy for me to focus more on my reputation than your glory. And so I thank you for your uh, never-ending grace that uh, conquers that. And for behalf of your name and these people, I ask that you would... Uh, move in powerful ways. We bind up the enemy and anything that he would do to try to distract us, that he would do to try to rob us, and we just trust and pray that uh, you would execute uh, power in our lives and it would all be wrapped in your love. Amen. Okay, so the word we, we sing, we talk about justification, righteousness, we just sang about faith. And so uh, my understanding of righteousness to this point, hopefully it grows, uh, but it comes from a Greek word, uh, I'll probably say this wrong, but deakeis. And so basically that word means uh, to be right or conform to a set of rules or standards. So these, the rule keeper is declared righteous before whoever the authority is or the rule setter. So the rule setter could be um, society or a government, or the rule setter could be God. 
Uh, but basically, it's, when it's used in like a masculine or feminine form, it refers to a person. And so it's one who acts just and right without failure or deficiency. So that last bit is a pretty big disqualifier, right? Without failure or deficiency. It's one whose behavior is in line with that standard. So a, an important question is, who is the source of the standard? Uh, Jesus declared that the Pharisees were self-righteous. So they created their own standard and then measured themselves against that. It feels kind of like cheating to me, and I don't think it does a whole lot of good. And so we've got to understand, to be righteous means uh, to be made right in line with the authority that's placed that standard. So if we're talking about God's standards, uh, basically the question is, does that individual meet the expectation of God? So to be righteous before God, something that's a little bit interesting, is you not only have to meet the legal standards of God or the legal rules, but also the moral standard and rule. A quick example might be, you know, when I'm driving up here and I may follow the legal rule of the speed limit, but I may hate it the entire time. So even though I am conforming to the external law, internally my heart may not be in agreement, right? And so before God, to be righteous before God, uh, you have to condition your life based on God's standards. And remember, God's standards are derived from what? Himself. His law is derived from his own character. So in a lot of ways, to be right or to be righteous with God, my external actions and the internal motives of my heart and my thoughts have to be in line with God himself. It reminds me of the bigger picture way back in Genesis when God says, you are made in my image, in the likeness of God. So you realize God's standard and God's law is derived from who he is. And so in order for us to become righteous, it's body, soul, and spirit. It's every part of us has to be in line with God. So again, I feel like this is somewhat of a disqualifier for us without some sort of intervention. Uh, if you add two O's to that Greek word, dekaiou, it becomes a verb, and that basically means to justify. So if you have something that's unrighteous, then it is making something righteous. The verb is making that thing righteous. Or if you have something that is righteous, it can be used in the, in, in the form of bringing out that righteousness. So this reminds me uh, beautifully of the sanctification process. So obviously there's, a, there's an act that has to take place on me in order to, one, create righteousness in me, or two, to bring that out. And to me, that's another way of saying grace. This is a gift. This is something that God does upon us. Uh, ben dropped a, a few weeks ago this term righteousness, and he, said, he defined it as the good life. Everything that is right and good with God and others. So uh, I believe that there's a strong relational component to righteousness. Uh, justification and righteousness are very similar, uh, but I think righteousness holds more of a relational component, and justification holds more of a, a legal component. So if I'm justified before God, that means I'm, I'm legally declared okay. I'm legally declared uh, right. And so I am not under condemnation. I'm not under punishment any longer. Uh, we're going to look at Abraham and how this term justification was applied to him, how this idea of righteousness was counted to him uh, by faith. 
So if you follow in your text, verse 1 says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So again, here's this idea that in order to meet God's standard, you have to meet his moral, legal demands. And so this reminds me of when Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, you remember when he says, um, if you declare a brother a fool, and what that basically means is you're, you're declaring him immoral and, and worth hell. He says, if you're declaring him a fool, you're liable for judgment as well. Or he goes further to say, uh, you've heard it say, if you murder, you're liable for judgment. I say, if you're angry, you're liable for judgment. So you recognize what Jesus is doing is similar here to what is expressed here, that even if Abraham was right in some form, he's not wholly right within his heart. And so there's got to be another way to accomplish a proper standing with God than simply adherence to the law. And again, you think about this, following the law doesn't just make you a good person, correct? I mean, there's a lot of people who have never served jail time. There's a lot of people who have never been considered criminals that I wouldn't really give the blessing to marry one of my daughters, right? I mean, if that was the, the gauge, we'd, we'd pump the brakes quickly. So this idea of righteousness before God has a lot more to do with simple effort to follow external rules. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but a due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. Goes on to uh, 6, talks about David and some of his declaration. But jump with me down to verse 9. It says, this is the blessing, or is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So part of me wonders if this is similar to uh, our church's approach to baptism. That in this text, circumcision didn't make Abraham right with God relationally and legally. It was given after his faith made him right with God. And so as a church, we believe that baptism is a uh, command of God, but it is a physical expression of something that took place internally. So our faith in the work of Jesus Christ and the offer of forgiveness of our sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that is what saves us. That is what makes us righteous. And after that, baptism is proper and appropriate. So this seems very similar as they hold up this, this act of circumcision that says it wasn't, it wasn't circumcision that made him righteous, but that was given to him as a sign or an act or an action after he was counted as righteous. He goes on to say, The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believed, without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So we know that Abraham, in many places, is called the father of many nations, circumcised or uncircumcised, Jew or Greek. In other words, he's the father of all who believed. I get this, this picture of, of the family of God resides in, in the house of God. And perhaps the, the road to the house is grace. And so faith 
is simply stepping into the vehicle that God has provided and allowing uh, that road of grace to carry you to the house of God, to be a part of his family. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is the vehicle, perhaps Jesus is driving, but this road is, faith, is, is grace. And so my approach, my, I guess my position, um, my response, Abraham's response, faith is simply belief in action. It's simply taking God at his word. So if he says, this is my offer for you to enter my family, my job is to just act on that belief, to say, I'll, I'll sit in the car. Take me there. The beautiful thing of the many nations idea is, again, the harmony and the unification that takes place when we all realize there are so many differences between us as a people. There are so many differences between the nations. But yet when we realize we all enter the family of God the same way, by faith, there is such a unification process and there is such harmony that takes place. There's such a, you and I, we're in this together because we got here the same way. And in my mind, that produces great humility, not only before God, but towards each other. Abraham is declared a biological father, being, you know, he had a son and a son and a son and a son and all these grandkids, and far down that line came Jesus. That's the pronoun for the word grace. But he also has spiritual offspring, which is all who believe. So we, we hear more about that story in chapter 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world, it did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, it is the, it is, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. Chapter 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That term, the law bringing wrath, I believe is is kind of assumed, and as Paul has established, the reason the law brings wrath is because no one can keep it fully. So because no one can keep it, it brings wrath. So there has to be another way, not simply adherence to the law, but through faith. So righteousness, if it were based on our acts, I suppose uh, this would be similar to how many of us function um, in applying this to life, even though our theology might be in line, I know I do, where if I believe to be right with God is based on, you know, how well I, I treat people or how I perform, uh, my righteousness wanes, right? Sometimes I would be righteous and other times I would not be. And even though if you've been in this church long, you know that theologically, that's probably not what you believe up here, but you think of the vast majority of the people that we continue to talk to in our culture that when they're posed with the question, how do you get to heaven, or how do you become right with God, their mind immediately starts thinking on, well, I'm a pretty good person. That's what we're talking about. And it's so easy for us to slide in there. Maybe not in what we declare with our mouth, but certainly with what I declare with my actions. 16. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I love this idea that it rests on grace and is based on a promise and is guaranteed. Because this is the same old gospel. And there's something beautiful about an unchanging, it's the same road to get to the house of God, to get to the family of God. 
because that produces a rest in grace. When I think of rest, I think of just settling in. Because it is based on a promise of a faithful God, we don't have to wonder in anxiety about if we're meeting the mark or not. Because it's been accomplished, it produces a form of security that I can have confidence in. And peace and confidence and security, I believe, allows me to get busy loving other people instead of being so frantic about wondering where I stand before Almighty God. I believe that's the gospel. Another thing that takes place as we skip down to... um, Let's go to chapter 18. It's talking about Abraham again, and it says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he was told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So a quick reminder... Uh, Abraham had no biological kids. He was 99 years old or so. Sarah, his wife, was 90 years old and was barren all 90 of those years. And then God says, hey, you are going to have a child, and I'm going to bless the world through your line. And so he had many reasons to doubt what was taking place. The question of how, how could this be so? And Sarah doubted that this could take place when it was presented to her. And so, but here's Abraham's response. Chapter uh, 4, verse 21. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. To me, that is a great definition of faith. It is trusting God, taking God at his word believing him to the point where your conviction is so strong you will act on that promise. This is why faith was counted him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but they are written for ours also. It goes back to that spiritual offspring that they talked about. In other words, the way that we are counted righteous before God is going to be the same road that Abraham took to be counted righteous before God. Just an act of faith in the work that God has done and the promise that he has offered. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this story took place thousands of years ago that Paul uses as an example to give us a better understanding and to give us evidences of his case that you are right with God relationally, that you are right with God legally and morally based on faith in Jesus Christ. God gave me a kind of a cool example to try to distinguish the difference between righteousness and justification and what this looks like. Uh, there wasn't a thousand years ago. It was probably 14 years ago when I first moved back and uh, my first head coaching job of baseball. And there was an individual, 17, 18-year-old uh, kid on the team, and everyone told me, this, this guy's trouble. He's a hothead. He's arrogant. Uh, he doesn't conform uh, to what you're going to try to do. So just be on the lookout. And first couple weeks, it was pretty true to form. There was a real resistance. Uh, but I recognized, and God allowed me to see that this came from insecurity. 
And because he was good-looking and athletic, uh, his insecurity showed up in just being cool. And so I can remember, you know, we were, we were trying to figure out our dance together, and uh, there was a time that he didn't participate in something that we were trying to do as a team, and so it wasn't a, an overt defiance uh, that, that required some harsh punishment. This is the justification category. Uh, but I remember walking into his hotel room, and he was the only one there, and God just put on my heart, I said, hey, you're okay with me. And he had no idea how to respond. And so I said, I'm going to require you to follow some of the rules that we're going to establish on this team, and if you don't, there's going to be some consequences. But aside from all that, I just need you to know you're okay with me. And he kind of sat there softly, and then I left. And over the course of that year, I started to understand what it meant to be right with someone relationally. There were still times that he pushed against some of the rules, and so there were some natural consequences. Similar to when I push against God's rules, there are some natural consequences. But over the course of that year, he began to soften. And over the course of that year, my rules began to be acceptable to him because he understood where they came from. And he just began to feel accepted. He, be, he, he knew that relationally, he was righteous before me. And as the year went on and, and the relationship was, grew and grew, he graduated and he went off to college. And a couple weeks went by and I get a phone call. He was the individual who would continue to call me and sometimes I'd say, hey, what's going on? And he'd just sit there kind of quiet. He just wanted to connect. And then a week would go by and he'd call again and he'd say, hey, I'm having trouble hitting the outside pitch. I keep popping it up to right field. What do you think's going on? And God gave me this great picture of what it means to be okay with God. So maybe you're sitting out there and you're wondering, if I've been justified by God, I'm not really sure I belong to the family of God. I'm not sure if I have fulfilled his moral and legal obligation and expectation of holiness. And to that, God says, you haven't, but this is Jesus. This is why he came. This is why he took your penalty to give you his life. And there's an invitation simply to believe. And if you have, and you know you are declared just before God, maybe what you need to hear is God say, I'm okay with you. Because there are a lot of times we wonder, right? God's saying, I'm okay with you. See, I believe a revival, whether it be personally or whether it be corporately or in community, I believe a revival is a deeper understanding or perhaps a fresh perspective on the same old gospel. Unchanging faithfulness of God that says, I have paved the way to make you righteous. I have paved the way to make you acceptable and okay with me. And that way is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's revival. That's unchanging. pray. Father God, I thank you for the beautiful reality that we can be sure 
that we are okay with you. I thank you for the invitation to come into your family, that we can stand even in broken vessels and oftentimes executing um, poorly with our actions, with our behavior, with our mind. But we can be sure because of Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can be made right with the living God. And I pray that as we focus on that or as we celebrate that within our hearts once again, that that would give us power to love you, that like the scripture said, that Abraham glorified God, that we would be people who glorify you with humble thankfulness. And I praise you for the security that we get in that. And God, I, I pray that there are people here, I'm sure, that have questions or doubt or have never place their faith in Jesus. And if that's the case, I ask that, Spirit, you would just move on their hearts and that they would know that they could simply say yes to your invitation today and be born into your family. It's in Christ's name. Amen. 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 We did this song last week and, uh, the chorus goes like this. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday's gone. And all my sins are forgiven. Yeah, I've been washed by Lift it up, come on. I've been held by the Savior, and I've felt fire from above. But I've been down to the river, I ain't the same, a prodigal return. Come on and sing it. Oh, my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday's gone. And all my sins are forgiven. Yeah, Lord, I've been washed. No stranger to the prison Cause I've worn shackles and chains But I've been freed and forgiven And I'm not going back I'll never be the same How about you? Come on, sing it That's all my hope is 
times are forgiven, yeah, Lord, because I've been washed by. And we're going to praise him with the piano. Just close your eyes. just breaks a man breaks him down to his knees well God I've been broken more than a talent to yeah Lord then he picked me up and showed me what it means to be a man that's why we're singing oh my hope is in Jesus Thank God my yesterday's gone. Oh, my sins are forgiven, yeah, Lord. I've been washed by. Let's sing that chorus again. Come on, sing it to him. Oh, my hope is in Jesus. Today's gone, and all my sins are forgiven. Yeah, Lord, I've been washed by the blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Lord. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Carry that message out there. In Jesus' name, amen.